Welcome. The following is a sermon presented at First Love Church in Ocala, Florida. If you'd like to know more about our church or Pastors Dennis and Heather Drake, you can find us on the web at firstlovechurch.org. It was shocking to me when I found out that my doctor friend wasn't always going to be a doctor just because he was a doctor. He has to take a test every few years to stay a doctor. I don't know if you knew that, but... uh, so he was like having to study real hard, and I thought, but didn't you go to 12 years of college so that you would become a doctor? But uh, the, the, the understanding is that that's an ever-changing field, and he should be sharp, and she should be sharp, and, uh, uh, but yet we get our marriage license, and then we're just married forever. And the truth of the matter is, you need to stay sharp so that you can stay married. You know, and so this this idea of love mapping would be uh, almost kind of falls into a natural thing when you first get together, because we talk about the things that we want, and we find out that our goals and dreams are similar, and so that's what unites us. But and life, people change, life changes, and so that's why sometimes I think we feel that we drift apart. So I think being able to reconnect in this way every so often would be something that would help you stay the course. And, and just to be able to say, are we still are we still committed to the same things? Because sometimes you try something and you're like, we really want to do this. We want to be rock stars. And then you get in 10 years and you're like, it's not going well for us. We're not rock stars, you know. And then you know, instead of just being resentful toward those things, you know, sometimes as we grow and change or as our marriage grows and change, sometimes there's situations that we can or can't control like maybe there is um, an illness that comes into a situation or somebody changes jobs or lose jobs or we, we've been noticing that um, family even moves in moves out I mean, there's, a lot all, of there's all these things that we can control and can't control but being able to say are we still on course for who we want to be and where we want to get and and this importance of saying what is the hope for us in knowing each other and we'll talk later about some other love mapping things that uh, the Gottmans talk about or you can do the research on your own it's really beautiful and powerful about being able to say you know you understand your spouse and be able to have a map of kind of the things that help you most intentionally uh, express love to them or really know where they're coming from this idea of paying attention to what season you're in, paying attention to are the things that we were doing before, are they working, coming back and and checking in on those things are important. We've noticed now at 28 years of marriage that um, we're different people than we were, thankfully, 28 years ago. And so some things that were really important to us in our early 20s are just not super important to us right now. And so you have to go back in, and and it's almost like renegotiating the deal. You know, like come back in for the contract, and we're like renegotiating how this is going to work. Not to get out of it, but to be able to say, how are we both going to stay in it and stay in it in a way that's healthy and in a way that is respectful of the change that both of us have experienced. I grew up in a museum in a sense of how my wife, uh, my mother kept things clean. And so my wife uh, uh, operates in a different realm in, in that. Not that she's not clean, but uh, my mom, you know, you could eat off all the surfaces of, of the floor and everything. And by the way, I might interject to you that I find people that are hyper cleaners to be the angriest people that I've ever met. So if you're a hyper cleaner, you might want to address the deeper issue. Uh, now, that's no scientific uh, uh, 
<laughs> but you have a degree and you agree with it? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> There's but actually a lot of studies that talk about that because people that are angry want to often control circumstances yeah, and, so you can't and they can't. Uh, but we're not talking about but, being, uh, a, yeah, being but, a good housekeeper. We're not bit. talking about but, that. Yeah, but, uh, but for me, what, what happened, you know, originally was, uh, you know, I'm thinking that I'm going to, you know, f flex my weight around or, or, or demand this enough that Heather will do this thing that in my mind I think is how a house is supposed to be uh, uh, handled. And so what has happened for me is the, the, in order for us to get along, I've had to lay down that idea of how I think things should go or just do it myself, you know? And I know that that's a, that is a revelation <laughs> because... Yeah, God forbid I actually be the one to clean, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so there's a there's a level of servanthood that you kind of see having to to rise up, and and so the, that isn't one that's going to come easily for a selfish human being, of which we all are. And so uh, that that whole idea of me maybe laying down that what that thing that I think that there needs to be uh, actually made my life easier. And so I, I think preconceived notions really can come into the relationship and just set us up for disappointment yes. when if I kind of renegotiated those things, it would uh, maybe appear like a failure or a loss, but really it's a win because now I've removed the standard. Of, we, we were kind of thinking that our parenting got better when we cut 90% of the rules that we had for our children out, you know, because if you got all these rules, don't wear your shoes upstairs while eating crackers and all, you know, you got to keep track <laughs> of all that. Remember, <laughs> and, but, uh, but when you remove all those weird rules, your kids actually behave better because <laughs> they're not failing as much, you know? So you, it's an instant win, uh, for you to not try to micromanage and control in that way. And then you kind of teach them and focus on the most important things. And I, I think that that's what we're able to do in a relationship by having that. So I think sometimes it does, you know, I think it can feel like, you know, a loss or a failure. But if you, if you uh, maybe reimagine that in your mind, it actually is something much better for you. I like the idea of the reimagining something. I think it's important at the beginning of a relationship to have a plan and I think that's important to go back and say, is it actually working? Is it actually what we want to do? Uh, or is it beyond what we can control? Do we need extra help? Uh, one of the things that we talked about early on in our relationship was that you had a love for music and I had a love for music. And so we understood that music would be a big part in whatever way it kind of evolved, it would be a big part of our relationship because we both had a love for that. Another thing that was hugely important in our relationship and it continues to be is that we met and our intention was, both of us individually, uniquely, our intention was that we're going to follow God. And so we have made it a practice, not just because we're pastors. In fact, when we met, we weren't pastors. It, we've made it a practice that we are going to have God at the center of our relationship. And in, by saying God, not a God that we like have a figment of our imagination, the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, who places some demands on the way that we would love each other and the way that we have. Now, let me tell you, that's what we did that was good. What we forgot to do was negotiate and pay attention to the fact that we each came from such different families 
that we would come to this marriage in with these idea of how our families behaved and how our families operated. And I th- kind of thought that once you saw how cool I was at doing these kind of things, like you would just be like swallowed up in all this really great uh, technique. Well, I was convinced if you gave me enough time, I would make you the person that I thought you ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can understand that to be a very difficult process and, and, and actually very painful for both of us as, as I felt a lot of rejection and a lot of resentment because you weren't doing things the right way. And, yeah. and, and you felt, you the know. The exact same way. You know, before we go into that kind of family thing, though, I do want to talk about one other thing that you and I kind of came into uh, the marriage in agreement with is that, you know, you had been trained as a uh, nanny and, and I think fully intended that you wanted children. We, we wanted and family, I yes. wanted family and, I, I, and ever since I was a little kid, I thought there, there's got to be a better way than the way these people are treating me and I'm going to make sure that when I have kids, you know, and sadly there were things that I just repeated uh, out, out of uh, no, not knowing anything different, but I bring that up for the reason that it, it is amazing, and maybe you need to ask yourself, how much um, am I just kind of flying by the seat of my pants in this marriage? And by that, I just mean we're kind of letting things happen. Uh, we'll just see how it goes, falling into place. But I will remind you, Scripture says very clearly, without a vision, people perish. Or people cast off restraint is a better translation. And so I don't want... Heather casting off restraint, nor does Heather or anyone want me casting off restraint. So us having a vision in your marriage about, well, you know, and again, like I said, you, you stumble on it naturally when you get together because you're like, oh, well, you want to do that? I want to do that. And but but revisiting that maybe every few years of a vision board kind of, you know, this is the direction we're going to go or kind of have the have the tough decision even after this class tonight. Where do you see our marriage going from here? Because Heather and I kind of feel like we're bumping at some point here very closely into a crossroads because, we, you know, I'm just so jealous that you don't even want to talk right now. You're a grandma. I don't, I don't have no grandbabies. <laughs> You're a grandpa back there, Tab. I love that. I'm, uh, I'm, so, I'm just, I, I see that that is like the next crossroads, you know. And so what kind of a, of a grandparent do you want to be? I'll never forget when David, my, my third was a year and a half year, uh, years old, and my brother uh, was le- dropped off his kids while him and his wife went to Las Vegas. He had a four-year-older kid, and they come on in, have a seat. Uh, he he brought in a uh, uh, or dropped off his four-year-old and his one and a half-year-old uh, little daughter, and the two of them had the flu. So this was fun. So I've got my little David, the baby with the flu, and his kid, and my wife decides that that is the day she's going to... No, she already had it no, scheduled. No, it was already She's going to fly to <laughs> Florida and spend... Because I lived up in Chicago at the time. So what happened was my brother was supposed to be back from Vegas, but they were using those standby tickets. And they said, oh, we're going to postpone your flight a day. So now I have... Two babies, no white. Why? Well, of course, there's five kids in the house, but two of them are babies with the flu. And I mean, they're throwing up all over, and I'm freaking out because I'm not good with that. So I was like literally laying wet towels over piles of vomit all over the house, you know? <laughs> and I'm just waiting until like, I could get some help. So I called my mom, and I said, Mom, you're because my brother's her favorite. So I'm like, you're your favorite. He's, you know, his kids are over here and I need some help with them. And she goes, well, I've got a lunch appointment with my friends. I said, I know, but, uh, 
you know, I mean, they, they got the flu. You know, no one could plan this. And, and like my mother-in-law, she gets off work at 5, but until I really genuinely need some help. And she was like, I have lunch plans. Figure it out. And, and, I, and I mean, and that was kind of like that reinforcement that she was laying the, the gauntlet down of what kind of grandmother she was going to be. When she was available, there was a couple times a year that she would call and say she wanted to take the kids to lunch. So she would call, come grab the kids, take them to lunch, and then say that she's the grandmother that spends time with kids. Well, that's the level, that's where her level of input or, you know, I mean, involvement was. And so, you know, Heather and I are here. I, I saw that to say that that we're at this place going, we want a different level of input, you know, in, in with our grandkids. I want to throw down, you know, I mean, I, I wanted someone to have my back when things were, so, so I've got to be willing. So Heather and I have to have those hard discussions, like how are we going to have to maybe trim back the self-centered things, you know, because some people go, well, at this age, you start up new hobbies. No, I need another hobby. Like I need another hole in my head, right? You know, I, I'm going to need to have time for when the kids say, uh, you know, they want to renovate a house. I want to show up there and help them with that. So we're having these kind of discussions because what is the next few years of your marriage going to look like? If you just let it happen, okay, sarah, sarah, right? Whatever will be. But if, if you really set down, what kind of grandparents do you want to be? What kind of marriage do you want to have with each other? Well, then I'm going to commit to classes like this because I want further training so that I can be closer. So really, you know, I hope that this class here would just motivate some conversations for you to have that discussion. And then I love hearing Heather's vision and dreams because, you know, it's, it's, that's a beautiful vulnerability that she shares with me. And then I want to be a part of, of helping that come to pass. And so it's not a just, no, 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 we can't do your thing because we're doing my thing. We figure out how our thing can, can really dovetail together and be something really wonderful. And so I want you, you to think You painted about a really book. beautiful picture of that. But sometimes the other side of that picture, the other side of the Might light, duking it out, right? is, is, is the darker side of the side of going, it's not working. We've tried this, and it's not working. Now, it doesn't mean that just because something is not working needs to be abandoned. Sometimes you need to take it to a repair shop. Sometimes you need to get some other help in. But you need to be able to look at your your specific and say, you know, maybe maybe we're not going to be rock stars. Maybe we should do something else. Maybe we should invest in this, or maybe we should take the time to go, is it not working because we're both not in agreement or investing in this same idea and in this same, in this same plan? Having a specific Good. intention. And one of the things that we've talked about is, um, for Dennis and I, we want to be friends. The kids are going to grow up, and we want to really know each other and not work on friendship when we're 60 and have lived our whole life. Or it's not going to be, we're not going to be without children by the time we're 60. We're joking. We have Silas, who's still well, pretty young. Well, that's why you end but, up, though, oftentimes with that empty nest syndrome is because you invested, you know, and really had a, a child-centered home. And now when the children are gone, you, you, had, you have nothing that you really built. And so, uh, so we want to make sure, you know, the whole time you're, you're building your, your relationship. And you're in, intentionally building. What does it mean for us to know what our, our partner or our spouse is looking for and being able to say, what can we do to foster growth, to encourage imaginative ideas, and, and to really say, you know, this is what we want to do. And so we'll do the hard things in order to get where we want to go. Um, if we put it in the GPS and it's a really long route, you know, we make plans for provisions, for gas, for stops along the way. And, and recognizing that our intention is in marriage that we would be married to each other for the rest of our lives, 
that's a long road, hopefully. And so how are we making provisions um, to get to where we really, we really want to go? I think part of that is really looking at our relationships and going, what's intruding? What, what comes into our relationship and causes stress? A lot of the stress that we have um, in our relationship is um, expectations. And, and most, I think importantly, the ones that we feel are unmet. And a lot of times we don't talk about expectation. We just assume that since that other person loved us, see, if I'm working really hard at something and I'm, I'm sweating and I'm doing all the work and you come in and you're just standing there with your arms crossed and you're watching me do that kind of work, that's fine, but I don't suspect you love me if you do that. I would just tell you my expectation. Because my expectation is if you love me, you're going to throw down with whatever I'm doing. You're not going to stand there. And let me tell you the funny story about what I'm going through. I'm like, grab a broom, dude. You know, these kind of things. Like, show me. But these are. Th this is my expectation that unless I talk about and unless I actually have a plan to discuss, then that's really what fuels resentment or that's really what feels like we are uh, singles living separate. It's not about housework. It's about whatever we're doing. If we feel like we're the only one doing the work, then that's where it becomes a difficulty. Now, I want you to paint a picture. I um, uh, went to eighth grade twice, uh, but by the time I was uh, 20, I got tested and found out I had dyslexia, so I didn't know that my whole life, and so I just thought I was dumb and couldn't do good in school. <laughs> and uh, it turns out there was there was an issue there, but of course I didn't know that the entire you know that kind of information really wasn't available when I was a small child, and so. Uh, Needless to say, reading and those kind of things wasn't a hobby like some, like she can devour a book in a night. You know, for me, I'm like, well, are you being punished? Why would you have a book? You know, that's what you do when you, once you, when you got in trouble, you were made to read, you know, or something. And, and so just the, the way we look at things are, are differently. And so uh, Heather doesn't know that. And so I would come home from work and there'd be a letter in the mailbox and it would be squishy thick. Like, like she crammed so much letters, you know, words into an envelope that it was actually not f a flat envelope. It was, it was bulbous, you know? And then I'm like, oh God. <laughs> I'm sharing test, my heart. She's going to test me on this. Did you read it? You know, once you get to the part about, you know, so I'm going to have to read this now. And so, and now I'm feeling anxiety and pressure and aggravation. And so I, I go home and you come home from work. And if you're a man, where are you probably going to go? You're going to sit on your throne, right? So I go in and I tear open the letter and now confetti flies out of it and fills my, fills my underwear. So now I'm angry because I got to read this giant letter and pick out tiny little hearts out of my drawers. And I'm going to be tested on this whole flipping thing. You know, and so there's this kind of like unspoken expectation, you know, that this is what you're going to love and this is what love is, you know, and, and Heather, uh, you know, I'm finally going, uh, you know, uh, can you, I love you, but can you, you know, maybe just tell me in, 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 in a, in an oral exam, you know, <laughs> I have to just have to be, you mean you don't like I, my favorite, she's telling me my favorite thing in the world is to get a letter. So she's writing me a letter, and so she's giving me the thing that is just absolutely the the pentacle of a demonstration of love, and it is absolutely a medieval torture device for me. So we have to kind of understand, you know, and have some communication, because then she would go by the the Baker Square and buy me a... a 
a, a slice of a pie or a, or, a, or a Rice Krispie bar and put it in a bag, and I'm like, oh, that woman loves me. <laughs> you know, and, and you find that thing, and that takes a real adjustment because here she is pouring out her heart, and, and now she's getting a Rice Krispie bar, you know? So it's like finding that thing, but, but yet you have to kind of communicate. Are these really the things that I want to do? So I'm force-feeding my partner, disappointed with them, because they're not responding the way that I think they ought to by this huge gesture of my love when, when again, it really kind of does boil down to, you know, we've studied love languages. Hopefully, all of us have had some uh, influence by that book, and so we understand people receive it and give it in a completely different way. But even understanding love languages, though it is a part of that, and it's a way that we can express and really help ourselves communicate with each other, but really looking at the way that we live our lives and asking ourselves the difficult question, how does my idea of family intrude or my commitment or my idea of loyalty to family intrude on the family that we are making now? Because we remember that our history it comes with us into the relationship. We all come into relationships with baggage and with family history and you know family of origin um, baggage. But if we're not aware of how the families have taught us to operate, um, there are some things that are kind of almost on autopilot, or there are some things operating in us kind of behind the scenes. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a device and you're like, I don't know why the battery is drained. And there is something that is draining there's the battery, but there's an app the going. And I think sometimes that happens to us in our marriage. Oh, like, like, I don't know why this is not working. There is an app working and draining battery behind the scenes. And to be able to say, what does it look like for us to reimagine what our family, and by ours I mean the person in the, in the marriage, what our family will be and how we want to react to the world, how we want to react to each other, and what our intention is so that we can be um, uh, successful or fruitful or faithful in whatever it is that we choose to be. You know, for me, by putting some language to this, to understand that there's a thing called triangula triangulization with your, uh, with your family of origin and how it is affecting you and... I guess, you know, we, we, when we started with therapy, we talked about family of origin, and it was like the beginning of the language of kind of understanding what's going on. And I think that we used to always say, even from the beginning of our marriage, like that's a Drake thing or that's a Rasmussen thing. Her maiden name, Rasmussen, uh, my, my name, Drake. And so, uh, so we would kind of, uh, she would say. So most of the time it would happen like when the kids were acting up, because those Rasmussen kids are wound up again, <laughs> rein that in. You know, it was always like toward the negative or. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a Drake thing. Or, or she would kind of approach it as a, a Drake way of doing things. And oftentimes that was, that was a negative connotation, but it was very offensive to me because that's my tribe. That's my people. That's where I come from. And so I felt the obligation to defend it. And I didn't realize just how much of it maybe I accepted without even really considering, do I want to live that way? Do you know what I mean? Like, you just grew up that way. So you never sat and, and decided, I pick that for my life. Or, you know, like, for example, yelling. You know, I don't want to be a, a, a home that screams. Well, we, the loudest person won the argument in my home. The loudest person got the floor. So I bring that into the marriage. Well, Heather is from a family that they just didn't raise their voice at each other, you know. So 
I'm, so uh, I thought he was broke. Like there was something happening. Like, why are you yelling? And I'm like, well, we're you know, listening. that's a Drake thing. You know, no. I'm like, no, that's a human thing. That's what you <laughs> no. do. And I got, you know, so I've got to do, and I didn't really stop and, and think of, you know, because here it is now, you know, 28 years of us being married and we've decided, we've sat down and said, that's not what we want for our home. But as you know, there are things that are deeper woven in you than just by you deciding I don't want. And so just, just yesterday I was playing wiffle ball with Silas and he kept throwing the ball, turning his body and throwing the arm this way. And I kept saying, no, you turn your body and throw, you know, throw from behind you. And so I'm telling him and like maybe 20 times in a row. So I got, I got my, uh, I said, Silas, turn your body, you know, and I was just trying to be, you know, I wasn't realizing, but I was escalating, you know, I wasn't mad, but I certainly, you know, wasn't calm. And he goes, you know what? We played enough for today. And I was just so amazed that as a six-year-old, he did not want any part of that. And I think just how different that is because the uh, Thomas uh, grew up in a, that was a good day when that's all the yelling that took place, you know? And so we, we are seeing progress. But again, for me initially, when Heather's confronting me about this, I really felt like I needed to defend the Drake's. I need to defend my way of life instead of me realizing now at this point, that's not, that's not something I wanted or want now, you know? And so I, I think for me, understanding triangulation is really understanding how much the things that happened to me in my past and in my family, how much they are affecting me now. And I, and I want us to talk about it a little bit because if you don't have awareness I believe awareness is such a powerful gift from God because until you have awareness about something, it usually just continues to fester. It continues to manifest. It continues just to exist. But once you wait a minute, and I realize this about myself, now I can bring it to the Lord. I can bring it to my brothers and sisters to help me address it, adjust it. I can actually get information, another way of handling things. And so I think that this brings some some awareness, doesn't it? I think the important thing that we need to remember, we say it a lot in the marriage ceremony, but I don't think we pay attention to it a lot in marriages, is the loyalty in a marriage is supposed to be to the person that you're married to. And this idea is that this is, you know, you, you, you've chosen a partner and it's you and that partner kind of against the world and against certainly against people or against situations and conflicts that are constantly trying to, div uh, to divide and constantly trying to come against. And so this idea is paying attention to the loyalty between these two people. What do we want to do? What choices are we making? How are we going to live our life? And, and for you and I, it became really Im important and was beautiful because we understood that then there would be some, there would be some help for us in looking at the life of Jesus and in how we would forgive each other and how we would practice the, the things. And, and there are some really important disciplines in the Christian faith or in any kind of, in fact, uh, uh, faith-filled modality where we're saying, you know what, these kind of practices shape us to be people who can continue in these relationships. But paying attention to the loyalty between this is how we are making a decision that we are going to uh, 
talk to each other, that we're going to recognize uh, each other's strengths, or in fact, depending on what area you are in your marriage, also each other's weakness. Um, for a long time in our marriage, I didn't have a large hernia, and I was very strong and could work right along with you. And then we had a situation where I had a hernia and then even had to replace a surgery, and it didn't work out. And I have this weakness now that we have to make a lot of accommodations for that. Um, and, and so that happens in marriages where something happens, we didn't plan on it, but now we have to intentionally to, to guard up the loyalty between how are we, what decisions are we intentionally making or we just become roommates, people that share the same car and the same house, and we try to make things work. But this idea of this loyalty produces this friendship and this closeness. And, and what are we doing to make sure that we don't have divided loyalties? When you read that scripture, it says that you leave your parents' household and you cleave to your, uh, to your spouse, you know, and it, and it instructs in Genesis for the, uh, the husband to leave his family for the wife. And then there's another place in, the in Psalms. Scripture, Psalms where it instructs the woman to leave her family and and connect with her husband and so there really is for you a severing that that probably just in our culture isn't really promoted and doesn't happen you know and so we don't recognize hey there's a there's a uh, a new sheriff in town I mean there's just a new way of doing things we are we're doing something different and so so much of that intrudes and uh, and I got to tell you I think one of the biggest mistakes that I observed that Heather made that I can say well, in wait hindsight, a say I was going to say <laughs> I can say this, he's going to say, say my hindsight. biggest well I mean I think that it's in your defense but but I I think that if you would agree that if I share this with people it would help them not not have the pain that we had that m my wife decided in her mind that oh this is yeah don't do this. <laughs> that that um, my mom had me for 24 years so that it wasn't going to be until we were married 24 years. I don't years know why that logic that made sense to me. Had, but at 24 years, I was laying down the law. We are not well, doing and, it. And this is what, <laughs> see, my mom would do things like when she came to our house, she would move my wife's place setting and sit down right beside me at the table. And I didn't think anything about it because that's my mom she's controlling she's pushy she just does you know so for me that's par for the course and my wife for 24 years she put up with that well that's your mom and she's had you for 20 but then You're my wife but, but my wife now. goes i've been i've been married to you know so like 24 in one day she would go I, you've been with me longer than that one so you ain't going to do that stuff anymore. But I wish I shouldn't have done, that from, we from would have one, handled we that 23 yeah, years earlier, yeah, yeah, you know, and that. had the hard conversations because, because that caused her a lot of pain. And for me, it was a lack of awareness because it, when she because I'm seeing the people here, guys and girls, just shaking your head. Like, that is crazy to you that my mom behaved that way. But, but I got to tell you, my normal was just with triangulization was really like my mom got her emotional needs met from me and my brother because my dad checked out so my mom would say hey after work meet me and i'll buy you dinner so we'd go to very nice restaurants and my mom would buy dinner so really i mean we're on a date if i you know as adults for lack of a better word now i didn't see it that way but but I, but to realize it's there's something going on here you know and then when it comes time for birthdays my dad never bought my mom a christmas present or a birthday present and all the time that we we're so that duty fell on me and my brother 
So when we're newly married and we're spending so much money on his mother's birthday, I'm like, dude, that's a little bit weird. You know, like, but this is my and mom. She's like, and so I'm like, send a card. Yeah, I'm like, like, send a card to my mom? <laughs> well, don't you know that's the woman who birthed me? And so she had like totally kind of promoted this idea of her greatness in my life because she was protecting herself, right? You know, and, and, and so you may find yourself in that story, but then you also may, may not be able to relate to that in the slightest because, you know, Heather and I were talking and this is a hard conversation and really this is her story to tell, but her triangulation is actually the opposite because when Steve came home from the Vietnam War, he decided that heroin and vodka were going to be his relationship. So he never came back. So Heather, as a two-year-old child, had to begin to realize she's not chosen. Where I am chosen to this place of uncomfortable. Like, you know, my mom wanted physical touch from me. And I'm now the kind of person that I'm not a physical touch person. Like, if you, if you put your arm on me, I, I kind of... I say, and it's subconsciously, you know, and I'm, and I'm realizing just now as a 51-year-old man where that comes from because I was leached on to provide physical touch. You know, I'd be sitting in a chair. My mom would come scoot right next. I mean, come on, it's a couch. I would think, look how big it is. Oh, no, no. And then cuddling and want to hold my hand. And I'm like, how long do I have to do this, you know? And, and I, you know, that was my benchmark. That was my normal. You know, and so now I, I and so triangulation, what it does see is now it affects this relationship because first of all, maybe I'm not aware of how weird that is, or I'm pushing her aside because, and I tell you, while I'm on my, my stint of this is just for me, my mom would lie for us to look at you. You know, if the truth was easier, she'd lie, you know? And so for years, my wife would say things to me. And I didn't realize just how deep that rabbit hole was, just how serious that problem was. But I didn't believe just about anything the woman said. Here, and she'd say to me, how much more of years can we live together and of life that I could pour out and prove that I'm an honest person, but yet you doubt every word I say? See, that's deep in me because of that family issue, because of the, the constant manipulation, the constant lies. And again, you might not be able to relate with those stories at all, but your tranquilization might be the exact opposite, that because of the disconnect or the not being chose by your family, and some people say that's even worse. And we, we've asked in, in, in a few of the uh, sessions ago to ask your spouse what it was like to be chosen in your family of origin or what it was like to be not chosen. What did it cost you? And because for many of us, it did cost us, and it continues to 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 be a toll that we pay if we're not if we're not aware that sometimes these ideas or these thoughts or these hurts or traumas that have happened because of our family of origin um, if we don't take the time to actually explore them and talk about them and and pay attention to them um, one of the things that happened for me and, and is part of um, when, when Dennis is talking about uh, triangulation it's this idea that 
you would go to somebody else instead of the person. It's very opposite of, it's not a Christian um, method of, of communicating. In fact, Jesus encourages us to go to the person who has offended us, but it happens in many different ways, sometimes intentionally, but a lot of times unintentionally. And it can happen in marriages to such an effect that it ruins a lot of marriages. Um, if I'm having a problem with Dennis and I don't know how to talk with him about it, sometimes it's easier for me to go to another person and start talking about it. But that really doesn't always help because sometimes I'm just providing my side of the story and I just want sympathy. And so then that person feels now the burden of this and they feel resentment toward Dennis. And now you see we have a really weird triangle of how this happens and put them in that situation. And, and I'm not talking about going to a therapist or to a doctor or to a counselor to get help because they typically know ways to stay out of that triangle. But this idea of then I, I'm going to just complain about this person and I'm not actually going to do anything that would be helpful or intentional to get the needs met. I mean, we can look at the situation that you shared with your mom. She really should have gone to your dad and said, I don't think you're meeting my needs. Instead, she just went to somebody else and say, can I have my needs met? And she didn't even say it. She kind of just pushed those on you. And, and if we're not mindful, these are the kind of things that produce division in us and then produce in us these, uh, these expectations that aren't, being, that aren't being met, that aren't being filled. And, you know, th there's just hope for us in, in paying attention to the subtle ways that things work. Um, I thought you were going to start to say the uh, there's something that I found out about Heather far later in our marriage than I wish I had. Because the, the, my conversations with Heather have gone a lot like this. Uh, you ought to buy that thing that you're interested in. No, I don't think so. Well, you really like that. Why don't you get that? No. Where do you want to eat? Wherever you want to eat. Um, we, you know, wh wh where, where would you like to go? Oh, I'd like to go there. Well, let's go there. Well, I don't know if we should spend the money. So there's, there's this kind of response, you know, that I've gotten from her. And I'm like, well, does she just not care? And so I'm a type A personality. I'm like, well, we're going to Taco Bell because that's where I want to go. You know, instead of, you know, learning to take the time with her to really find out where is it that you want to go to eat because there's this, there's this overwhelming drive in her to not buy the thing that she wants to which which many men would consider a tremendous victory you know my wife is not depleting the finances buying stuff for herself all the time in fact to get her to buy something is a is i consider a tremendous victory you know and so so but but to dig deep and find that out oftentimes we won't go there and and it was much later in our marriage than than i would hope to to that she told me a story one time of uh oh, i didn't when i was telling you the story i didn't realize how much of an impact that had made on my choices i was just well, yeah, tell the story and then and then i want everybody to see how that makes how how that explains why you don't decide to buy yourself the thing or, or to, to pick the restaurant or whatever um so I was really aware as a small child growing up that my dad was not there and I really wanted him to be there. And we had contact with him um, so we could, like my, the adults in my life could ask him to come to things and could invite him. And they would talk to him on the phone and he would promise to come, but he wouldn't show up. And so um, that became a huge pain for me, this idea of you, you promised, but then you don't come. And, and I mean, time after time, he would say, I'll be here. And so she would actually fall asleep out on the front porch. I would porch. just wait on the front porch for him to get there. And I remember many times my grandfather actually being outside all day long waiting. And my grandfather actually picking me up because I would sleep out there and carrying me upstairs 
to bed as a small child and he just wouldn't come. One particular, and this was on my sixth birthday, so many years ago, many moons ago, I, my, my neighbor had a new bike and I really wanted one and I had a birthday coming and it was this purple Schwinn bike with a banana seat and had the long tassels and I just thought that was the coolest bike. And so I asked for that bike and then people were like, what are you gonna have for your birthday? I was like, I want a purple Schwinn bike with a banana seat and the long tassels and that's what I really want for my birthday. And I came down the stairs of our big house on our birthday, on my birthday, and at the bottom of my stairs was that bike, the purple swim bike with the banana seat and the streamers, with a little note in it that said, I love you, Dad. And I can remember sitting down on the stairs and just crying because I hated that bike. I didn't want that bike. I just wanted my dad. And I felt like this is what happened. I felt like I asked for the wrong thing. What I really should have said was... I want you to be in my life. I really want this. And I just can't remember that bike. I hated that bike. I never rode the bike, much to my grandfather's chagrin. And he's like, I'll get you a bike at the flea market. It'll be fine. Thank you, Tim. And so there's this hope of saying, I'm sorry about the bike, but this, this idea then became in my mind, you asked for the wrong thing. What you really wanted, you didn't get because you didn't know how to ask for it. So for the rest of my life, I mean, really, it has become a problem for me to know exactly what I want because I'm like, you're only going to get the one thing. Like, I would have wanted more than anything for my dad just to show up for my birthday. But in fact, he left the bike, which was really a beautiful, wonderful gift. And that's really all he could do. I mean, he, in his own pain, that's the best that he could do. But that's not what I saw, and that's not what I took out of it. And unconsciously, I had made this kind of agreement then so don't ask for anything until you really know it's exactly what you want but that becomes a terrible liability for everyone else to try to have to prove that this is what you really want well it, and for me it just it read differently it read you know that she's not she's not invested you know we, we it, didn't it didn't matter to her where we go to eat you know apparently she just doesn't care you know or she's not really interested in you know, stuff or anything. Where's your passion, woman? And, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and when I found that out, see, and, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, we can just blow past it. Good, because we're, we're eating where I want to eat all the time. This is a great deal. And for much of my marriage, I became, it just fed my selfishness because my favorite person is me. And so I got to do everything I wanted to do. And there was extra money because she wasn't buying anything. So guess what? I got all my uh, toys and all my stuff. And so this was a beautiful scenario for the selfish, but then I'm not growing. Uh, and certainly she's not content or considered in the marriage, you know? So it takes pushing past sometimes, uh, these things and really finding out how, see, because I want you to see how different that is. You know, my mother's over overwhelming need for me caused me to be the wreck that I am. Her father's inability to be in her life, to, to, to be there for her and need her, made her the wreck that she is. And now these two wrecks met up and said, we're going to get married and we're going to have an awesome marriage. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know? And I have a feeling there's, there's a Rex all over this place, <laughs> you know? And so, and we met in this broken place. And so if we don't really understand that maybe that weirdness, and I love that question that we asked the, 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 the couples and that you would ask yourself, you know, what was it like 
to be chosen or to not be chosen because for some people it's like, ooh, you know, the, the not chosen people would say, oh, to be chosen, how great that is. But the burden, the, the cross that is to bear for the chosen one is, is much worse maybe in some cases. But then the loneliness, I mean, who's to say what's worse? But I think really having that compassion for each other and then really understanding, wow, this stuff is intruding on my marriage right now. So then Heather and I are able to just kind of look at that and go, wow, that is the kind of, you know, family we grew up in. That's the kind of reflex or, or, or go-to decision we're going to make unless her and I really discuss, we are not going to do this with our children. We're not going to treat each other this way. We're going to intentionally, you know, uh, my, my parents are what's called uh, married singles. And that means they're married, but they live a life of a single person. Uh, my dad went and fished with his buddies uh, every week. My mom went and got her hair done or went out to lunch with her friends every week. You know, and they, they would just go home and he brought this amount of money home and she made this kind of food and she sewed his things and he mowed her grass. And so they had an arrangement, you know, and, and that um, was my example of a marriage. But, but her, her and I have sat down and said, we're not going down like that, you know. We want to have a real friendship. My parents, I, I never once saw them go anywhere without another couple with them. Like, I can't tell you how many times they said, hey, I want you and Heather to go with us to Cedar Key. And I'm like, you're retired. You have a car. It's filled with gas. Go to Cedar Key. You have a GPS. I bought it for you. You know? But for them, it was unimaginable to go t together and be each other's company. That just wasn't, uh, um, and that's really sad, isn't it? But see, they, they came about that honestly because they never invested. They never sat down and said, what kind of, you know, uh, older people do we want to be? You know, what kind of marriage do we want to have? What kind of grandparents do we want to be? I have a lot of friends now that are, um, are you know, because all my fr friends roughly are my age, you know, and so we're transitioning between our children moving out of the house and and so and i see a lot of them going well now it's our time we're going to go to the beach we're going to go live at the beach we're going to go do you know it's going to be and, and they become these real selfish self-centered people and I, I i mean heather talking about what if at this transition we shift into high gear and giving our lives away to god you know this is a this is a real crossroads for us to, that we decide in these moments in our life, how can we be more Christ-like? How can we be more loving to our children? Are you just living for your children to get out of the house so you can, you know, I'm, I, I, I want them to be in my life for the rest of my life. I want a good, healthy relationship with them where I can serve them and, and, and be around the grandkids and, and, and live that life. So, so I have to make decisions and I have to, her and I have to have serious conversations about and, that. And we have, to, we have to talk about what kind of willingness we are making towards sacrifice. What will we be willing to sacrifice so we can have the things that we really truly say that we want to have? And, and, and yeah. for, for some of us, it's not just the family of origin that brings baggage. Some of it's from past relationships. If you sure. have other marriages that, uh, that are not a part of where you are today, there, there's, there's hurts and baggages that come from there. But there's also maybe some, um, some things that are, some apps that are still running from those things as well. And being really attentive to this. Again, if you look up the information from the Gottman Institute, they have a lot of information about uh, love maps and really spending time to find the, the, the space in your partner. And why do you, I mean, so for Dennis, um, he's not 
one day just going to say, hey, this would be a really exciting day. We're just going to go spend a bunch of money. I would probably be throw up with the, just that idea. And 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 for some That's of the person. That's not far from a possibility to something Yeah, I'm just happen. saying, though. <laughs> but because he loves me and knows that, that, that if we're going to do something, if we're going to buy something, I want it to be very thoughtful and I want to spend very intentionally and I want to have done the research and I want to make sure it's the exact one and this can be a really long drawn out process but because he loves me and he knows this is part of the uh, of the thing I think that it's important for us to to drop these love maps for each other to be able to say I understand that because of what you you experienced and because again we know where our GPS is going we, we've put in a destination we want to be friends and we want to be in each other's lives and we want to be serving the world and a part of people whose lives at the end of it have some kind of a legacy I mean we don't want to just be here and suck up air you know that our intention is how can the world be better because we were friends and we invested yeah. And and there there's yeah. hope for us in really learning the practices, spending time to have the conversations, and then having the conversations again. Is it still working? We were ta Dennis was talking about there was a list that that he was making of all the projects that were around the house, and you know he said jokingly, but he's going to have to live to about 120 to get all the things done that we want to do there. Yeah. So that's good because you have to have a reason to live. <laughs> you know, and there's like long. This is a really I long list. I promised my wife and, so many projects. But we were talking about this, and he had a really good idea. Let's prioritize it. Let's just not make the list. Let's make it the number one thing. And he had a lot of things that felt like number one. And I kept um, firm on the shelves. Um, when we first got married and we decided that we wanted to have a house together and we dreamt up the house and then, you know, we were married 14 years before we have the house that we have now and um, 18 years before yeah. we have the house that we have now, and this is a house that Dennis built. But when we were dreaming up the house and we were dreaming up how the things would go, in our dreams, there was gonna be shelves in the laundry room. And Dennis builds everything in the house, so it's not just like, you know, we didn't get around to it. You know, everything is hand-built and it's beautiful and it's really intentional. And Dennis was asking about the list, and he was like, you know, so we have all these other plans. And I'm like, the shelves in the bathroom, the shelves in the laundry room. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to those. I'm like, it's been 10 years. I want to put the tide on the shelf. And so sometimes, though, if we're not aware of renegotiating or saying what's important or how, how are we going to get these things done, then we can just live with resentment I mean, or be angry. Good, it's such a good point because, you know, shelves aren't romantic they're not awesome you know like like doing some cool landscaping in the yard or or fixing you know something that will be fun yeah for no us. one's going to see an the laundry room except for me an kitchen would be much more cool to invite people over a fire pit or some you know something that's on the list of all these things that we would have to do but for her to really find and make her space you know and that's difficult for for because of her family of origin you know to to find uh, you know the the gumption to make that space for herself and so that's a place of vulnerability so I would ask if you are you know kind of that type of personality like I am and you're inviting your spouse out of their behind the wall or out of the shell or whatever and then they come out and you pulverize them uh, you're not you know and for me, it was difficult because I, I, I can remember, you know, Courtney helping us so much as a, as a psychotherapist, you know, going through or a therapist, however you word it. But sh she would she would be like, you know, encouraging Heather to say these things. And then Heather would say them not, you know, she's new at, at confronting me and saying these. So she might not say it in the best language. And if her language wasn't what I liked, you know, I punished her for it. 
you know, not, not intentionally, but, but through my hurt or my anger or whatever, I, you know, and here I am inviting her out into that place. And so I really want you to, to see that if you have the spouse that wants to sit down and negotiate the shelves and you're like, shelves are stupid, you know, or that's, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you, you know, you're really, yeah, you might win the, uh, the, the battle, but lose the war. You know, you might really uh, uh, be be shooting yourself in the foot because I've always said I want this partner. You know, I want her to be free to communicate to me so that when she does, then I, sh- I shut it down, you know, because I, again, from my family, you want to win. You got to be louder. You got to be pushier. And so that triangulation brings, it, you know, I'm bringing it in and, and, and not realizing it doesn't serve me. You know, you survived in that home because you did what you had to do to survive. But we're not in survival mode now. We're in uh, thriving mode, or we should be. And so that means i got to shift some things, and I really have to to kind of look at what we can do. And maybe I have lived so much of my life in kind of that survival mode or whatever. But I'm excited about the idea of, of thriving means I begin to plant some delicate plants, and I care for them, you know, and I'm not a bull in a china shop on how I behave towards her, and, uh, and we're cultivating some new things. And, and not just in the way that you behave toward me, but the way that I am responsible and respectful of your unique viewpoint and the perspective that you nice bring. That's way of saying <laughs> how I behave. <laughs> but there's a unique viewpoint that you have and a perspective that everyone has based on who they are and what they have lived through and the, and the things that they have experienced. And so often we just assume people can see it the same way that we do. And, and taking time to actually ask questions of each other. When you said this, what did you mean? And not in a way um, that is hurtful or, or can, for clarification. Yeah, can, can you give me more information? Sure. Or I'm curious about why that's super important to you. Um, we, we've had friends and we were talking with them. And uh, we were discussing a trip for four of us. And the, the, the wife said she would like a really relaxing vacation. And then she began describing what the relaxing vacation was. And I'm telling you, it was horrific when she was telling me what it was going to be. At 5 a.m., we can get up and we can see the, sun, the sunrise. And then we can be at breakfast by 6.15. At 6.15. And she had the entire day mapped and filled with things. And she called that a relaxing vacation. And so I was thinking how disappointed I would have been if I showed up for that relaxing vacation. And I think very often we do that in marriages. Like if somebody says, what I would like to do is have a relaxing Saturday. Well, what does that Saturday look like to you? How do you, how does relaxing um, actually, what is, tell me what that looks like. Explain that to me. Now I want to tell you, we went on the trip with that person and we had the best time but we knew well, it was we not, not going to be relaxing. relaxing. <laughs> we were like, we're going on a marathon, and we're going to be so tired we when we get home. But vacation. it was going to be so good. But sure. we, but we knew what we were getting into well, because th- of further discussion. I think we have to do that with spouses. Yeah, I think fundamentally, you you know, you kind of do that because for the first part of our marriage, I, I very much would. Uh, uh, he- one of the things that Heather really appreciates is, is quality time with me, and I'm like. What do you mean I spent no time with you this week? Don't you remember Monday night we sat in the living room while I watched the Bulls game and the Hawks game, and then I, I think I did some, some work on guitar practice and charted some songs, and we were sitting on the couch together for six hours. How can you tell me that, you know, you're, you're this black hole of, uh, of need, woman. Get away. You know what I mean? I spent all this time with you. I mean, I, here I am thinking I'm this amazing 
dude. And, you know, and it's like, and, and her definition of quality time, I've come to realize is absolutely correct. You know, being in a room and with another person is not quality time. I'm sorry to break somebody's heart on this one, but uh, in my mind, we were together, you know. But I was doing my own thing. Again, I was trained, remember, I was trained by, uh, uh-oh, this might have landed too close to somebody. Uh, but see, again, I was trained by married singles. So, so I mean, this is, you know, you're together. You know, and and so Heather had to help me understand that she was not uh, cared for or or attention was not given, you know. And then uh, you realize, man, this is a whole different level uh, than than things I understand. And so uh, having those conversations and being because had had she let that fester, she would have built resentment towards me. And and just disappointment. And the whole time I would have been deceived into thinking you know, I'm, I'm the husband of the, of the hour, you know, <laughs> so where's my rewards? You know, uh, uh, I am, you know, this is amazing how I live. And so, um, really making sure that you guys are, are explaining and, and your definitions are, are really the same. And, and just because they're different doesn't mean that, that, you know, the bully wins whose definition takes, you know, press them. I think really the key is hearing that other person and then going from that point on, I, if if I want that to happen, I, I want to, you know, to do it the way that you would like that. And then, uh, but I think also, too, that does bring in the, the point of, of really being able to verbalize, you know, what my intention was, you know, that my heart was good towards you and, uh, and moving on from that place. Um, we're going to um, ask you to do a practice this month while we're um, between the sessions. And um, I want to uh, invite you to do this practice. We, we've been doing a few practices. I hope that you're spending a little bit of time looking eye to eye um, at your spouse. We, we spent a time listening to a song together and looking directly into each other's eyes. In fact, there's a therapy that can be done where you sit in silence and look directly into each other's eyes and intend to tell someone something just through eye contact. And there's an incredible uh, connectivity that is actually um, formed when you spend time practicing looking at each other's uh, eyes. We were talking with Silas about something, and he's six, so we still talk about things like stop and look. We were crossing a road, and we were saying, you know, pay attention, be aware, stop, look, and listen. And I was thinking we really need to do that all the time when our spouse enters the room. We're, we're so very uh, used to, you know, just all of the uh, commotion and all of the things that happen that we forget to look into each other's eyes and listen to what your spouse is actually saying. So we would throw that out there. But we would encourage you this month to just spend in the evening, write one thing that you were kind of um, impressed with, grateful for, or amazed that your spouse did or who they were. Maybe you saw something they did for someone else or how they responded to you. And then don't give it to your spouse for the entire month. Just at the end of the month, you'll have 30 things that you were impressed with, amazed with, or grateful for. And it can be an incredible tool to help us. Because when we were first in, involved with each other and when we ever, everything was rosy and new, we were constantly amazed at how cool this other person was, how amazing they were, how thoughtful, how great. And as we live together, it's sometimes easier to focus on, I cannot believe that he thinks that way. I cannot believe that I asked and he did not do. So paying attention to the things that we're grateful for, this very intentional gratitude. But we would encourage you for one month, every single night. And you could even make it on, I mean, it was I mean, encouraged to write a paper. your perspective, you know, because then we're digging in a different place. We're digging 
for for gold instead of for you know the negative and then also you know there is such a tremendous power in positive reinforcement i mean you know it's just across the board that's science it's just it's you know when you can definitely go back and tell somebody that you liked what they did you appreciate what they did it's very likely that you will get more of that type of behavior out of that person so uh so it and, really will benefit you to do and that and one other practice we would like for you to engage in and we talked about it briefly a few weeks ago but just the re um, enforcement of love and commitment when you're having a conflict to be able to say i'm really upset with this or i feel so frustrated but i want to remind you that i love you i'm not going anywhere i'm just really frustrated about this and I've, we'll, we'll figure a way to work it out i think that sometimes in conflict we we always feel the disconnect and if we're not mindful we'll weaponize that against each other and try to use it to um to maybe create um, some emphasis on the pain that we're feeling but to be able to intentionally tell your spouse i this is what i'm feeling i don't know what we're going to do about this yet but i'm affirming to you my love and commitment we're not going anywhere this is not what's going to separate us but i'm hurt or i'm frustrated or i'm angry or i'm disappointed and, and then just and work that out. Those are practices that now, some are people real. might find that to be very simple, but for me, you know, I was definitely trained with my family of origin to weaponize that stuff. I mean, when you you are mad, you take away your approval, you remove yourself from them, and there's a period of punishment, and uh, and that is by silence or by mean looks or by whatever. And then after you have deemed that person suffered enough then you reintroduce yourself into the you know and that was just such a uh, uh, a way that i was trained because of that's how i was treated that you know i just assumed that's how relate all relationships work and uh i gotta tell you that that does damage it feels good for the moment or whatever and it maybe gets your point or manipulates a situation but it's doing grave damage and i i gotta tell you it is, you know vulnerability is the flip side of that coin and, and I, I got to tell you, it was way late in the game when, and I wish someone would have taught me about this, but it was so late in the game when I just was so hurt by what Heather said and I was ready to withdraw myself and punish in the way that I was, you know, subconsciously kind of taught or trained. And I said, hey, you know, what you just did there, it hurt me so bad. It embarrassed me, really. And... And I want to just shut down and not talk to you for a couple of days and do what I've always done, but I'm trying something different. I wonder if by me saying this, if you would stop and, and really, you know, at first she thought I was joking. She's like, oh, you need me to look in your eyes, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I really do. I really need for you to not, you know, pull away now because I felt just really embarrassed by that. And now by turning your attention towards me and, and that vulnerability, that risk you know, could have really backfired. I mean, I was vulnerable, so she could have made fun of the weak weirdo that's, you know, saying all this kind of stuff. But by doing that, I realized, and it was the step in a new direction that has absolutely been life-changing. Instead of go, doing that old way and kind of punishing, just saying, hey, you know, this is what happened. That really hurt me. That really embarrassed me. And um, would you be willing to to maybe do something differently because what you did just hurt me. And, and even if she doesn't want to do that, I've watched her be willing to do it because of the way that I approached it and by the vulnerability. And, and I'm telling you what, intimacy uh, is, uh, you know, is only going to happen 
when we're vulnerable and we're and and, and if you're not going to be uh, run that risk of being vulnerable you're not going to have that level of intimacy that you all desire and so it is risky uh, but uh, <clears throat> come on this is the person you married and you know if you can't risk it with them then we've got deeper issues we need to get some therapy and counseling if if you can't and and if you can I understand where you might be right now but you can work towards that and that is a tremendous place of success so we would like to offer upon the closing a three-minute song um, and we would like for you to um, take a moment and if you're not comfortable where you're sitting find a seat that is comfortable for you to be able to turn and look directly into the eyes of your spouse and uh, no, you don't have to say anything, just while, as the music plays, listen to the words, and then um, you guys can talk about it on your ride home or a little bit uh, later. Red lights flashing on the highway I wonder if we're gonna ever get home I wonder if we're gonna ever get home Everywhere the water's getting rough Your best intentions may not be enough I wonder if we're gonna ever get home tonight But if you break down I'll drive out and find you If you forgive my I'll try to remind you Stay by you When it don't come easy When it don't come easy I don't know nothing except change will come
Someone will say what's been said before It's only love we're looking for When you break down I'll drive out and find you When you forget my love I'll try to remind you And I'll stay by you When it don't come easy When it don't come easy It don't come easy It's interesting how a practice like that can, uh, first of all, make us all giggle like eight-year-olds, and then how quickly emotion comes from from that uh, that intimacy like that. And and uh, it's a real good practice for us to try these things. Thank you for your vulnerability, your willingness. Thank you for coming out tonight. Appreciate you guys. Uh, we'll see you in. Uh, church on Sunday, Wednesday, and we'll be here again next month. The following was a sermon presented at First Love Church in Ocala, Florida. If you'd like to know more about our church or Pastors Dennis and Heather Drake, you can find out on the web at firstlovechurch.org. If you'd like to help us continue the work that we're doing, you can donate at firstlovechurch.org.